to the Faith is Not Blind podcast. I'm Sarah Devonier, and today I'm here with Sam. Welcome to our podcast, Sam. Thanks. Um, Sam, I want to talk a little bit about your growing up in the church, but I'd, I'd like you to particularly focus on how you prepared for a mission and what you thought a mission would be like. I want to start there. Sure. Well, so growing up, uh, both of my parents served missions, um, and I felt as though it was, you know, kind of just said that every young man should go on a mission and they should be there for, you know, two years. And, you know, if you listen to uh, a talk given by Elder Holland, um, where he said missions are forever, then he's like, we expect 24 months out of the young men, and you go and you, you do every one of those months. And so, uh, you know, uh, growing up, I felt that it was very much my responsibility and, you know, to go out and do that sort of thing. And so growing up, it was definitely a very hard set thing in my mind. Right. Yeah, just go and do that. Yeah, and yeah. as you prepared for that mission and sent in your papers, what was your testimony like at that point? What, what was it based on and why, why had you chosen to serve on a mission? I mean, serve a mission other than the fact that maybe it was an expectation, but mm -hmm. personally, what was your testimony based on and your reason to serve? Well, my testimony was certainly based on, uh, you know, feelings that I had of the church. I had uh, read and prayed about the Book of Mormon and everything and yeah. felt that it was true and I was comfortable with um, that which it taught. I had come to a lot of realizations within my head about how I believe things could work. And so I was definitely okay with that. And then for, you know, the mission, you know, people would, you know, say, I suppose, that your, your first care should be to bring the gospel to other people. And obviously, you know, I definitely wanted to do that. But the fact that it was a responsibility that was just kind of, you know, driven into me as I was growing up, like, where do you want to go on your mission? Like, when are you going to go? Are you going to do it as soon as you can? They're like, yes, I can. I mean, I'm going to graduate when I'm 17, and then I'll, when I turn 18, go as quick as I can. You know, it was just, that was always at the forefront of my mind. And so when my mission president asked me at the beginning of my mission, like, why are you here? I told him, like, I'll be honest, like, the first reason for why I'm here is because I'm expected to be. Interesting. So talk about where you went on your mission and what that experience was like in the beginning of your mission. Sure. Uh, I served in Helsinki, Finland. Um, so to learn Finnish, we spent two months in the MTC in Provo, um, just so we can you know, get a pretty good foundation, at least, of such a hard language. And um, so during the MTC time, I you know, felt that now that I was a missionary and set apart and everything, I needed to be absolutely obedient constantly 100% of the time, and that was driven into me. And when I had companions or like other missionaries in my district who weren't like that, especially because I was put as a district leader, um, when I was in the MTC, I, I, was, um, I didn't respond well if, if they were disobedient, if they would you know, sleep in or um, you know, do things that I didn't feel were becoming of a, a missionary, I didn't respond well. Um, as I got into the field, uh, I kind of realized, you know, obviously the MTC life is completely different from field life. Yeah, uh, it, yeah it's, a, it's a little <laughs> bit cloistered. <laughs> exactly. I realized that, you know, going up to a random person who most definitely, if they are not the 0.02% of the population or whatever it is in Finland, that is LDS, that they most definitely do not share your beliefs. 
and probably have a very different history than you do and speak a completely different language, which you are an absolute failure at, you know, doing that in comparison than just walking up to somebody in the MTC is astronomically different. And it was very difficult for me. Um, I would go up to people, you know, I tried my best and everything, and I, you know, got some good things done with it, but it was way difficult. Yeah, it is, it's extremely difficult, especially in a foreign language. Yeah, for sure. As, as you were in Finland and doing some of the missionary work, will you talk about some other difficulties that came up? For me, it kind of started when I was, it wasn't really when I was in training, it was after I was in training, so I'd been in, in country for a few months, um, and I just started, I went from this flip-flop from being kind of this dictatorial district liter leader to uh, just this completely subversive, um, you know, some missed junior companion that just wanted everybody to be happy. Um, and the problem with that is at the same time, I was getting really sad and I couldn't tell why. Um, I was directing all of my energy towards other people. It wasn't anything to do with my testimony or my opinion of the church. It was that I just was completely neglecting myself. Um, and, you know, they say that you must, you know, like that you should lose yourself in, in the work. And, I, you know, that's a, that's a statement that to a degree I, I agree with. Um, but, you know, you always have to be there yourself in order to put yourself into the missionary work. And so I guess, I don't know, it's hard to explain how it really started. But I started feeling like I was completely losing control um, of my life and myself and that I had kind of become a slave to this regimented schedule um, and I was having a really hard time with it. Um, and obviously I had these values set inside me that this mission experience was not something that I could simply shirk. Um, but so th these were two very conflicting ideals in which right. I was, you know, deteriorating. But at the same time, I, you know, felt that I needed to be deteriorating and I wasn't getting any better. And so I had companions when I told them about that, you know, I'd open up and say like, hey, this is really hard for me. Say, well, just go pray about it, you know, go pray and ask God to heal you. And I would do that and I didn't change. I'm, I'm the same person, right? And so I believe that God can change our outlook on things and help us to develop, but God didn't just make me into the version of myself that I wanted to be right then because it would have been befitting of missionary or members in Finland or people in Finland. It was, you know, just something that I, I suppose had to develop on my own. And so I kept going and I kept going and it kept getting harder. And eventually I started um, dealing with, uh, you know, struggling against the desire to start cutting myself because I, you know, even though this had never been anything I'd considered before in my life, and when I'd thought about it in school, when they talked about it, that it was ridiculous, it just started becoming really appealing. And I don't, you know, it's hard to explain if, you, if you've never really felt that feeling before. It's, it's a way of controlling yourself. It's a way of having some degree of control over your life, even if it's the bare minimum of controlling the amount of physical pain that you're feeling as an outlet. It makes you feel like you're doing something. Yeah. And so... My mission president, um, great man, was, uh, you know, able to tell that I was, you know, kind of not really doing my best um, mentally and emotionally um, in my letters weekly. And so he said, Elder Hancock, um, I have a psychiatrist that we have working with a church in the Europe area who's stationed in Germany, in Frankfurt. And you can call him and, um, we'll, you know, he can help you out. So I scheduled an interview with him, and we were over the phone 
I was just out on my balcony on the ninth floor lying on a mattress and um, you know it's it's hard to do that when uh, your your psychiatrist is you know a few countries away <laughs> you know I'm super glad that he was there in the first place but you know it's you're not gonna get you know the best care you possibly could and you know so we just talked and he asked me some of the things and I told him basically you know what I told you and he said well I think you should use your happy light and read this talk by Elder Bednar um, happy lights are like vitamin D emitting lights or some sort of thing that we right have when you're in Finland right yeah he said just put that right by your face and um, so I did that read my talk and I was still aversive to conflict and I still you know felt like I was you know very regimented to this thing and I wasn't getting any better and you realized this wasn't just some sort of seasonal depressive disorder mm -hmm. that you needed something more than a happy yeah bite. especially as the summer was coming in you know and in, in Finland when the Sun is constantly out in the summer you know that there's no you know it's that's like the, the prime right you know when you talk to people with seasonal depression a lot of the times it will be aversion from the Sun or like being cold or whatever yeah. and that was that was not it. So um, we, we continued talking, me and uh, this, this guy, and a few meetings later, it felt like we were kind of getting nowhere. And then I had told him of this time when I had just randomly, I think, I, I had texted the zone leaders out of some really weird feeling in my head that I still don't to this day understand, and I asked them for pizza. I feel like I was kind of losing it, honestly. And it was the zone leaders in a different zone, and they got really mad at me and set the APs on me, and I was just like, I don't know what's going on, and so it was a really crazy time, and I told my psychiatrist, and he goes, oh, I know what you have, you have bipolar disorder, and I did not felt, I did not feel as though I had bipolar disorder, I felt like I was just more generally depressed, um, but he said, and you know what that means, and I said, I do not know what that means, and he said, you get to go home, and I did not want to go home. Well, and you didn't think of that as some, as some sort of a reward you get to no, go home. No, that's yeah. not like, you know, some medal, that's like me getting kicked out of, you know, feeling like I was doing everything I could to give myself to this responsibility, um, and so I was just like, oh no, you know, and that was really hard. So when you, you talk about sort of losing control of yourself and losing control of your perception of what a mission should be like and what it actually mm -hmm. was like, when you got home, and I'm sure this was a longer process, sure. but when you got home, what did you do to reconcile that and, and still keep the testimony that you had developed and maybe even nurture it? Mm -hmm. I think something that was hard for me at the time was that I wasn't actually bipolar. And so for me, it felt like I'd been sent home for an illegitimate reason. It had, you know, sort of come to fruition that I was just really, really depressed um, and had anxiety about everything as well. I yeah. had a few panic attacks when I was in Finland. So with the anxiety and depression, how did you, again, use the spirit, use your testimony, rather than just saying, that was an awful experience. I think I should leave the church. You know, it was hard sometimes, you know? And it, I think in the times when I wouldn't blame myself, because most of the time I would, I would turn that on in saying that there was something with me that was not good enough or you know, something. When the times when that didn't happen, I would, you know, turn on the other side and I would think, you know, what if, what if it's not me? You know, I, I keep trying to fix this. It's one or the other. What if it's something with the church? Um, 
and for a while there. So you did ask some questions about the church, which I, I think would be natural and normal when you come home yeah. from a mission when you didn't want to. Mm -hmm. And I did. I, I did ask those questions. And, you know, there's, uh, once I got home, I, you know, rather than just kind of shrinking, I wanted to figure out what was going on. And so I wanted to know the truth of everything, and that included the church. And so, um, you know, I went and, you know, I'd had all of these positive experiences with the church in my life. And I thought, well, you know, if I can, you know, if I really want to find out what's true, then I should be able to look at what people say about the negatives. And I feel as though I have the ability to remove myself from what both are saying and then just kind of come to a, you know, a decision line of what so is your, really true. your own personal mm -hmm. I wanted yeah. to approach it from an intellectual, personal perspective. I wanted to find the truth for myself because the truth was what I cared about. I wanted to know what was really going on. So, t so talk about what you did and where that led. Sure. Um, so I went and um, I'd seen some of the things that they had posted on like Reddit forums of, you know, people who have left the church. There's a thing called the CES letter, um, which has this ginormous just list of things that this guy has against the church. And I went and read through that. And, you know, obviously when you go and, you know, that's the first time that you experience those, those sorts of, you know, opinions or thoughts or, you know, whatever they have to say in your life, it's hard, you know, and you're like, wow, I never thought about this or heard about this. And so the thing that I made sure before, you know, to, to do was to approach it from a perspective of not just believing them at face value. Because if I wasn't just going to believe the church leaders at face value, then I shouldn't believe what mm -hmm. anti-church leaders were saying at face value. Interesting. And so I went and when I, um, you know, lo looked and saw what anti-church people saw, I approached it from their perspective of, okay, is this true? And I went and I looked at the backgrounds behind a lot of the things that they were saying, and, you know, there are a lot of really good, um, a lot of people who have done that as well. I don't know if you've heard of, like, Fair Mormon they've done. Mm -hmm. um, they actually have their own list of things against, the C uh, against what the CES letter had to say. Um, and I went, and if I couldn't find something on there that I you know, or, you know, uh, thought was good or to say against the CES letter. I went and I thought about it myself or went and, you know, researched it myself. And I came to the conclusion that out of every single point that had been made, I just couldn't believe that. I just, I just, I can't really believe somebody who's coming from the perspective of just wanting to be destructive. As well as the same time, it's hard for me to believe somebody who's just coming to, from the perspective of, I just want you to do this because I do this. Right. Right. And so, like, as you talked about, you wanted to find your own personal belief. And I think what's important about that is that you were concerned about people's motives. Exactly. So how did you then use those things and these, these thoughts, trying to read as much as you could? How did that help you get actually closer to God rather than further away? What, yeah, do, what you did see, you that's, do? That's a good question. Um, and I feel as though one of, the, um, one of the most significant moments of this journey that I had was I was actually judging at a debate tournament and I was talking to one of my friends about this and he told me that what he had recognized or felt was that God had left enough of the really good things, you know, open for us 
and then some of the harder things to deal with open for us just enough that you could theoretically believe either way but if you were going to believe in the church it was going to become you know a faith process it wasn't yeah. going to be you just find all of this evidence it's like well but, I guess I can't reject yeah. that so it wouldn't just be in your head that your the, your heart and your mm -hmm. spirit would have to yeah. be involved and so he said there was just enough for both that he felt that you know at that point it comes to your own personal spiritual experience and then I it kind of clicked in my head and I realized you know if the church is actually true and that's then that is definitely how it's going to be because you know in the scriptures it says you know constantly that faith is what matters and that's what I'd said to people on my mission and if I was going to believe that and teach that then I should apply that to my life. Well, unlike what Alma says in Alma 32 that faith is not a perfect knowledge exactly. but that doesn't mean there isn't any knowledge involved. Exactly. So you yeah. used a balance of knowledge and faith. Mm -hmm. Let me have you end with this question since since you've been home and you've been trying to reconcile all these things, you, you talked about how spiritual experiences are essential. Yes. Could would you be willing to share a spiritual experience that you have had that that has helped you settle your faith and, and feel like you can keep going? I have had so many of those and it's hard to just, you know, pick one. But the thing that comes to mind is when I went home for winter break. Um, this last semester because when I had went home from fall semester I sort of still felt a little disillusioned um, and that was actually when you know I had been told by my friend when I was judging at that debate tournament that it needed to be a spiritual journey once that clicked in my head I realized that I needed to try and you know just figure that out for myself whether you know God loved me and it got back to the very very first principle that we were taught to teach as missionaries which is that God is our loving Heavenly Father. Mm -hmm. And that's what I wanted to know. I wanted to know if I had a Father in Heaven who loved me. And so when I got back and had, you know, come to that conclusion, that's what I wanted to look for. I knelt by my bedside and I prayed my heart out. I asked, you know, God, if there is one, are you my Father and do you love me? And not only did I feel that love so strongly that you know, it would, I, that, you know, I couldn't keep it inside me. I also had an outpouring of love after that from my parents and oh, interesting. from my brothers and sisters and friends. And I felt that God not only could speak to me through myself, but he could speak to me through so many different mechanisms of the love that existed in the world. And that yeah. it just came to I just couldn't, well, I couldn't deny that feeling of and love. There, so you felt love from God, but the love of your parents and friends, that you saw that as an extension exactly. of God's love. Yeah, and of course, you know, the love of God, I felt, felt you know, was first. And then, yeah. you know, after I felt this love from God, it kind of came into my head that if God loved me like this and he wanted me to be happy, then... You know, after this, after the, um, the struggle that I had had in the coming to him and saying, just please tell me you love me, that he was going to, and that he was going to do that through people. And then yeah. right after that, you know, it was just like so much love. And I came back to winter semester almost feeling like a completely different person. Mm -hmm. Well, in some ways, you probably were a different person. Yes. I, I appreciate the fact that you were willing to keep going 
willing to, to read things and to study, but to keep going in order to feel that love. Because I think he lets us choose if we can feel it or not. And yeah. what a great thing that you were able to feel it and then uh, pe feel other people's love so that you could feel more settled in exactly. all aspects of and your life. And that's all I wanted. All I wanted was to be loved. Yeah. And I appreciate you sharing that. It's, it's not an easy story to share, but such an important one. So thank oh, you for sharing it.